welcome back to our, our study on 1 Timothy. And now we're going to be in chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 again. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, dear God, that you would help us, that you would change us by your word, that we would be guided by your word, O oh God. Please empower us, Lord, and endue uh, us with power that, that we might be useful servants. Give us wisdom from your word and place in us, Lord, an insatiable earnestness, a desire to know you and to know your will. Be examples to the flock, to those who believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as he says, appeal uh, to older men as fathers, the same word appeal carries on now uh, to younger men. Now, here's something that I, I want you to see. The fact that I've made such a great emphasis on honoring older men does not mean that we should not honor one another and uh, honor those who are our age, honor those who are younger than us. We are servants of all. We are masters of none. And one of the ways that we teach people to honor one another is by our own actions, by honoring one another. I've always been intrigued about the apostle, about the apostle Paul in his, um, uh, what is it in Spanish, Des, despedida, his, his farewell in every one of his letters. It, it seems like he purposefully lists names. He drops names of people who are not apostles. Otherwise, they would not be known um, if he hadn't mentioned them. And it seems like Paul has this desire to honor people and to always include them. Uh, to, to, he really felt like they were important and he wanted them to know they were important. And, and, and that's a very important issue, I think, men. Um, I know men who are afraid to honor anyone. They're afraid to promote anyone. They're afraid for anyone else to be honored or promoted because they're little, tiny, selfish men. But we should be someone who has the propensity to promote others, not promoting others who are unworthy or promoting others when they're too young and it might do damage to them, as Paul says, it might give them the big head or puff them up. But we always need to include people as much as we can in our circle to speak of people uh, to put them on our list and to mention them to others. So when, when we talk about appealing to younger men, we also want to show honor. We want to act as servants. We want to act in love. Now, um, he says, appeal to younger men as brothers. Now, this is uh, very, very important. And I want to give you some general principles here with regard to how we treat brothers. 
In Matthew 23, 8, he says, but do not be called rabbi for one is your teacher and you are all brothers. I think this is very, very important. It doesn't mean that as an older man, you have no authority or no say. It doesn't mean that as a minister of Christ, uh, you have no authority in teaching or example. That's not what it means. But what it means is in the back of all that, you need to always remember your closest relationship to anyone is a brother and sister in Christ. And if you are in a leadership position, what do you have that you have not received? And if you have received it, why do you boast? If you are in a leadership position, you were put there to serve. You were not put there to uh, carry out your own vision, to promote self. You were put there to actually die to self more than everyone else. You exist as a servant for everyone else. In the core values here at HeartCry, one of our statements is we are servants of the servants of God. We're not just servants of God. We're servants of God's servants. Also, we could bring in here the example of Jesus Christ, who being Lord and Savior, who knowing that he would be seated at the right hand of God, what did he do? He took a towel and he took the place of the lowliest servant at the feast. He washed the feet of his disciples. And so in Matthew 23, 8, do not be called rabbi for one is your teacher and you are all brothers. If you're elder over someone, you're elder over a brother. A brother for whom Christ died. Now, I want us to go uh, to Matthew for a moment. Matthew 18 to look at another general principle. In Matthew 18, verse three, he says, truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, in verse three, he says, truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. How do you enter the kingdom of heaven? By converting and considering yourself children, utterly dependent upon God utterly dependent upon God. You have nothing as a babe has nothing but the help of its parents. So you have nothing but the help of God, nothing but the grace of God. Now, what I want you to notice here is it doesn't matter how much you grow in the faith. It doesn't matter how large your ministry or your church or your position or your authority or your power in preaching. It doesn't matter how much you advance in that. You will never stop being a child. You're still a child. You never grow out of the child category. You're still in the nursery with everyone else. Do you understand that? Now, you may be in charge of more in the nursery than everyone else, but you're still in the nursery. You're still a child. All of us 
our children. All of us are brothers and sisters. None of you are to be called rabbi or great teacher as though you had inherent authority. The only authority you have is speaking exactly what the master said. Other than that, you have no authority. And then when you look at leadership and you look at talking to a brother or sister in Christ, look at verse five and whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. You love Jesus. I can tell you how much you love Jesus. How much do you love the least of his brethren? That's how much you love Jesus. Verse six, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. And the more authority, the higher your position or the more expanded your ministry. Yes, it's true. The greater the possibility for good, but it's also true. The greater the possibility for your condemnation. For causing multitudes to stumble. And have we not seen that? People that were respected throughout evangelicalism. And then you find out they were nothing of what they pretended to be. So if if your average Christian in the pew falls, yes, it will hurt people. But if the man standing behind the pulpit falls, it will hurt a multitude. A man standing before the nation falls, it will hurt a multitude. And, and always remember that if you are in the ministry, you do have a target on your back. And on your front and on your sides, you've got one everywhere. You're a walking, living, breathing target. Because if he takes you down, he can take down many others. So uh, when we deal with brothers, we need to have this attitude. Another thing that I want you to see, another general principle is found in Ephesians 5. Now, you're all familiar with verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. It may be the most quoted passage by men in the entire Bible. But I want you to look. I want you to go back a little bit and look at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is uh, dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now here he's talking about in the church, in the body of Christ, among believers, there is a mutual submission. Then he moves on and he talks about in the family, the wife is to subject herself to her husband. And then it goes on from there and it talks about children being in subjection to their parents. And then it goes on from there and it talks about employees being subject to their employer. But here's what I want you to see. There is a real sense in which uh, as a husband and a father, I must lead my home. Now, I lead my home by exposition and example. 
and by service. Not by determining my wants and desires and then casting them upon my family. But there is a sense in which I should lead. But in the body of Christ, and when I'm in the family, I'm not separated from the body of Christ. So my wife and I have two relationships. In one way, yes, I am supposed to lead and she's supposed to follow. At the same time, we are to have an attitude of mutual subjection to one another because one of the greatest qualities of a leader is he wants to know opinions and ideas and truths from others. And when those trump his own ideas, he's going to listen. And so my wife and I are in a relationship in which I must lead my family and I must lead my wife. And yet at the same time as believers, we're in a we're in a we're we're in a relationship that is mutual and reciprocal. Sometimes she's right and I'm wrong. Sometimes her idea trumps mine. Well, it's the same way in the church. You must lead. But as a leader, when you become a leader, you do not become separate from the body of Christ. You're still a member with all the other members. And there's a sense of mutual submission so that a brand new believer could walk up to you, hopefully respectful and point out something in your life that needs to be changed. And they could be right. And the smallest believer could come up to you and speak a word to you or give you a verse that would save your life. There was this when I was pastoring in Peru, there was this little lady from the mountains and I know she was under five feet tall. I mean, she was about this big and she still wore the clothing from the mountains. She was sort of a refugee, came down because of the terrorism and everything to Lima. And uh, sometimes she could have some pretty strange ideas. Spanish wasn't her first language. She spoke Quechua um, like she would one time told me that uh, there should be women pastors because, you know, uh, Rebecca was a pastoress or a, a shepherd, you know, lady. And, I mean, she would come up to me with some strange ideas sometimes. I had a deacon come up to me one time after she talked to me after church for about five minutes and she had her finger like this and she's talking to me about something I said wrong. And uh, he came to me with a bit of scorn on his face and he goes, why do you listen to that woman? And I said, because sometimes the Lord comes dressed in a very strange cloth. Because she is a believer. Because she genuinely loves the Lord. Because I need to be careful. Very careful. Do you see? It's, it's very, very important. So there's an idea with your, especially with your brothers in Christ that are around your age. There's an idea of mutual submission. If people can't speak into your life, if they can't teach you, can't correct you, can't rebuke you, you're in trouble. Let me ask you a question. Now, you just answer this in your own heart. When was the last time you really saw sin and repented? When was the last time somebody pointed out something wrong and you had to say, please forgive me? When was the last time you were prompted by the Holy Spirit just to acknowledge uh, either a, a weakness to another person or a sin or pray for me? I, I, I'm, I'm needy. 
Even the great Apostle Paul, when he came to Rome in chapter one, he talks about them being mutually edified one with the other. The great apostle, the greatest missionary who ever lived, he believed that he honestly believed it, that when he went to Rome, he was not only going to give, he was going to receive. Do you go to church with an attitude that not only has God equipped me to give, but because I'm in the body and because God's designed it this way, I also need to receive. I need to receive. Uh, John MacArthur points out that we are to love the brotherhood. First Peter 2.17, we're to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Romans 12.10, and we are to let the love of the brethren continue. Hebrews 13.1. So it's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal. Now, to be a leader is a very delicate matter, unless you're just a bulldozer. To be a leader is a very delicate matter. But you'll do all right if you see that your authority comes from properly expounding the scriptures. If you're preaching, you preach with authority to the degree that what you're saying is an adequate exposition of the scriptures. Uh, when you're counseling someone, you have no authority lest you be expounding the scriptures to that person. No one needs your wisdom. And so exposition and example. But you're going to find out that if you're truly conscientious and you're trying to do the right thing, you're going to find out that sometimes you were a bit too bold. You're going to have to go back and you're going to have to ask for forgiveness. Other times, it's just the opposite. You should have been more forthright and spoke the truth more clearly. And so you're constantly, until you become perfect, still waiting for that day, um, you're going to kind of be somewhere in here. Which means that you're going to walk with a great deal of humility and fear. When you're expounding the text and it's clear, you're going to speak with authority unapologetically. At the same time, you're going to realize that you must be careful and that we are all prone to err, to stumble in many ways, James says. Now, he goes on in verse two and he says, um, let's go back to first, first Timothy chapter five, verse two. He says, appeal to the older women as mothers, as mothers. Now, I want to say this, first of all, there are no grounds in the scriptures uh, for even inferring or beginning to think that older women are to be given less respect than older men. They are to be respected, how? As mothers. To treat them, to respect them, to speak to them as you would a mother. Now this is a problem, why? Well, when a culture falls apart and becomes just disgustingly pagan, without any principle, any conviction, any absolute truth, there's always going to be a decline in relationships. 
where there's sexual immorality, all this freedom everyone talks about, there's always going to be violence. Because much of the sexual revolution just has to do with selfishness, with a desire to feed one's own lust at the cost of any other individual. And you need to know that. So when we talk about you need to honor older women as you honor your mother, well, that means nothing to so many people because they do not honor their mother. Uh, media, television, TV series, children's programs teach us not to honor our parents. Matter of fact, in most of those programs, the parents are portrayed as dunces and it's the children who come up with the solution. And so we need to go back to scripture again. It says, honor your father. But the word honor also applies to the mother. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. And what he's saying, you don't honor your parents. And in this case, you don't honor your mother. I'll take you out of the land. I'll exile you. Or as he speaks about removing the wicked, he'll just remove, remove you from the entire planet. You are to honor your mother. And you are to honor those women in the church who are older as mothers. You know what? I'm beginning to like get really fed up with preachers. Um, and I'll tell you why. Run around doing so many things. But what should you be doing? Let's say you're a church planter. Are you pastoring all by yourself at this point? What does scripture command you to do? Second Timothy 2 2 tells you to invest in men. Why? Because the only way the church is going to function correctly is if you have biblical evangelist pastors and teachers, because that's how the church is edified. Where the church is weak, it means the evangelist pastors and teachers are either absent or they're weak. So as a pastor, you need to invest in men. Is there another authority? Parents. How much do you invest in parents? Teaching parents how to teach their children. How many of the children in your church know that it is an immutable, inflexible rule that they're to honor their father and their mother? How many times have you taught them how to do it? It seems like all the important things we neglect. Because if, if, if you get men, evangelists, pastors and teachers and deacons trained and godly with doctrine and life, you've solved a big problem, the biggest. If you train husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and to lay down their own lives for their wives, you've solved a big problem. You teach parents to stop being selfish and to lay down their lives together, hand in hand, wife and husband. For the bringing up of their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, you, you've caught you've solved a big problem. You teach children to honor their father and mother and all the ramifications of that, you've solved a big problem. But everybody is just doing something else, aren't they? Create every kind of discipleship group and everything and not do the first things. 
teaching them the gospel and then teaching them what it like, what it means to live in light of that gospel, what it means to live in light of eternity, what it means to live in light of the throne of God and then order the institutions that God has created, the church and the family. Because I, I want you to know there is a vicious predator coming for your families. There is one like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There is a snake at the door. And guess what? Most of the children, they're no longer going to public school. They're going to a pagan temple. Eight hours a day, four more hours a day on social media. And then you're going to give them some little, I don't know, 15 minute sermonette and expect them to stand. It's not going to happen. So with regard to older women, we are to honor them as we honor men. We are to treat them as weighty, significant, of great importance. We're to honor them. We're to honor them. I can tell you in a culture where the elderly are not honored, there is no honor. There will be no honor. We also see attention given to the, the, the teaching of the mother. In the book of Proverbs, we can see that not only they'd be honored, they're to be listened to. So in Proverbs 1.8, hear my son your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. So here, the mother and her teaching is just as important. The words coming out of her mouth is just as important as the words of the father. Now, when we apply that to you, you are an elder. 1 Timothy 2.12, women are not to be elders and they're not to usurp authority, but they're to be honored. And part of that honor is to listen to them. You have the situation of Priscilla and Aquila who pull Apollos aside out of the public view and teach him the way more clearly. There are women who can do that to you in your congregation without violating 1 Timothy 2.12. You need to honor women. Proverbs 23, 22. Listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she's old. And please do not treat your elderly in the church as people who really can't participate in your vision. Take your vision, put it in a box and throw it in the sewer. Because the people God's people are your vision. Feeding them, protecting them, nurturing them. That's your vision. And oh, by the way, while I'm going on kind of uh, with great boldness and anger, get off the internet, get out of social media and pastor people. And, and I'll, be, I'll be looking. Um, I want you to go to Philippians chapter four for a second. And look at the way that Paul uh, treats the women there. In verse two of chapter four, this is such a powerful example. Uh, John MacArthur pointed this out in one of his sermons, but let's just look at the text ourselves. 
Verse 2, I urge Eudodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Now, I want you to notice two things. He, he honors these women. I mean, he puts them in the heavy hitters category. I mean, he puts them in a list with some pretty important people together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. He said, they've shared my struggles in the gospel. He honors those women. He acknowledges whatever they did was a very honorable thing, a very difficult thing, and they were deserving of great prominence. But then he uses the word urge them. Okay, urge them, parakaleo. Again, urge them, come alongside them. Speak to them clearly, but speak to them as a man filled with the Holy Spirit and bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Speak to them in that way. All right, well, we're going to, we're going to call it uh, at that point. And if uh, you young men are up to it, uh, we'll meet back in about five minutes and we'll talk about Probably for young men, one of the most important parts of this in verse two, appeal to younger women. And we want to go through that with a fine tooth comb. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that you would work in the hearts of these young men. Oh, God, that the grace given to my generation would be multiplied in theirs. Oh, Lord God, they're going to need it. They're going to need it. Help them, Lord. Strengthen them. In Jesus' name, amen.